Well, good morning. Good to see everyone again. Uh, glad to be here and glad you're here. I know half of the U.S. is on vacation this week, uh, but glad you're not. Let's see what uh, we can find together. If I were to ask you to identify what's being called the silent pandemic, could you name it? Here's some characteristics. Let me give them to you. It has the same impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day and more unhealthy for you than being morbidly obese. Our current and two-time Surgeon General Dr. Murthy was recently quoted in a cover story of the Harvard Business Review saying that during his years caring for patients, this particular health issue was the most common pathology he saw above both diabetes and heart disease. Yet ironically, recent research has shown that people who suffer from this condition are more likely to have heart disease, suffer from a stroke and have immune deficiencies, as well as facing far more difficulty recovering from cancer. It increases your chances of having Alzheimer's and adds to that the risk of significantly shortened lifespan. Anyone know the condition to which I'm referring? Anybody? Yeah, you're on the right track. It's loneliness, loneliness. And while loneliness affects us as Americans, it is not our unique phenomenon. As recent British Prime Minister Theresa May went so far as to appoint an official government position called the National Minister for Loneliness. Why? Because it's an epidemic, it's a pandemic. We live in the most connected age in the history of civilization, and research tells us that those who are most connected to social media testify they are the loneliness. Numbers are skyrocketing, despair about it is deepening, and it's everywhere. It's rampant in my son's high school. It's already deeply embedded in my wife's fifth grade classes, and even younger than that. It's all over my son's Marine military base. It's at my oldest son's university, and as a newlywed, he discovered that it's not solved simply by marriage, insert chuckle by those of us who've been married for a while. It's in my mother's generation, as she recently shared with me. I encounter it all the time in the leaders and the teams I help throughout our country, and guess what? I feel it, you feel it. As a matter of fact, uh, most of you didn't need me to give you those statistics to admit that exist inside of your chest. So here's the bad news. There's no vaccine for this silent pandemic or booster shot for that matter. It's just not solved through a needle. Now, aren't you glad you're not on vacation and you came to church? <laughs> A little heavy here, right? What's wrong with me? Now, while we're not going to solve this fully in this sermon, at least what we can see is that God knows it's an issue for us too, as he's prepared places like Psalm 25, which we read just a few minutes ago, that can help us. Psalm 25 is a prayer for help, for relief from distress. There, there's much more to Psalm 25 than meets the naked eye, at least the naked English eye, that is. It's an acrostic poem that means that each verse begins with the successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
However, the acrostic has three exceptions, verse 1, verse 11, and verse 22 do not fit the acrostic pattern. But if you take the letters that begin each of those verses, they spell Aleph, which is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, to continue to nerd out, there are at least four more stylistic and structural ways this poem makes sure that we focus our attention on the very center of the psalm. Now, I'm not going to go through them all, right? Hold for applause. I get it. I know that you don't want me to, and I'm not going to torture with that. There is no doubt. It's a beautiful piece of art, though. At least let me say this. There are a series of five petitions with the middle petition set apart by praise and assurance. So it's unique among them, amongst them all. So what this tells us is that the entire piece turns on or finds its answer in that center petition. Now, I'm going to say more about that in just a minute. But the petition we are most interested in today, in case it wasn't obvious in our introduction, is the fourth. And it begins in verse 16. And this is what it says, Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I am lonely and afflicted. So let me say something directly about loneliness. While it may sound ironic, loneliness is not necessarily about being alone. Rather, if you feel alone and isolated, then that is how loneliness plays into your state of mind and into our hearts. For example, a college freshman might feel lonely despite being surrounded by roommates and peers. A soldier beginning their military career might feel lonely after being deployed despite being surrounded by fellow soldiers day and night. A middle-aged friend of mine told me a while back, when they feel lonely, they go to, get it, the mall? <laughs> the mall of which I'm sure I was terribly offensive when I said, the mall? You've got to be kidding. I mean, first of all, I guess my question is, does anyone go to the mall anymore? Is that actually a place that people go to? But secondly, why? Of course, the answer was obvious. They go to the mall to be surrounded by people. And yet, you gotta wonder, when they leave, what do you think they still feel? Admittedly, it's loneliness. It's less about being surrounded by people, and about, but it's about something much, much deeper. So let me just give you some characteristics of loneliness and just see if any of these resonate with you. Have you ever had a sense of disconnection from those around you? that you should feel connected to by all other accounts. Ever felt unwanted or never chosen by others, at least by the ones that you hoped you would be or not invited? Uh, when I was a little boy, my mom used to announce to everyone when dinner was ready that dinner is ready which means, of course, to every other natural thinking human being, come to the dinner table, it's time, right? 
but not Chris. I was uh, in need of help then, and still am, by the way, now. Uh, I needed a personal invitation, so one night she said, why don't you come to the table when I call you? I said, well, you didn't invite me. Isn't that weird? Even as a little boy, there was something in me that said, you want to be wanted, you need to be accepted, you want to be invited in personally. Some of you would say you've never felt seen as a person. And because you've never felt seen, you've never been known, deeply known. Which of course means you don't feel understood, and if not understood, then certainly not accepted fully. Maybe you would even say you've never felt deeply and completely loved. Now, let me ask you, do you feel embarrassed or ashamed that any or all of those are true of you? Do you feel a strong urge to deny the reality that they are true? Because maybe, maybe you're surrounded by people and there seems to be no reason for you to have that sense of loneliness. Maybe you feel a strong need to, des to deny it because you're a man. And you've been told somewhere in your life that men aren't able or free or should feel this. Maybe you feel a strong need to, des to deny it because it's a sign of weakness. Or maybe there's more than that. You don't feel as a Christian you're free to admit to this. But see, acknowledging our loneliness allows us to see and know our own hearts and the hearts of others. It's what begins the process of experiencing what we want most. It allows others to see us and to know us at our depths. And it's this type of vulnerability that's the passcode to intimate relationships. Now it's at this point I wanna take a left turn and make this wild suggestion, all right? Um, just stay with me. What if, what if loneliness wasn't something to be embarrassed about? Or maybe loneliness doesn't mean something is necessarily wrong with you. What if loneliness was a gift? I know, just hold on. I mean, think about this. Adam was lonely in the garden full of animals. He was face to face with God. There was no sin inhibiting any sort of relationship he was having with him. And yet when God made Eve, Adam looked at her and said, finally, one of my own. In other words, someone that I can relate to and that can relate to me in a way that I had not experienced before. Insert the truth. Adam was experiencing loneliness. Now, here's my question. Was that before or after the fall into sin? Yeah, it was before. So experiencing loneliness is not a sign that you and I are broken. Instead, what if it is simply an emotion that alerts us to our deep hunger to belong and to be known? 
What if it's a tell that points to the fact that we are distancing ourselves in an unhealthy way to our most vital relationships that we need? What if loneliness speaks to how much is right with us while simultaneously pointing to how much has gone wrong in this world? What if God gave us loneliness to drive us to seek him and others out? I want to show you a tool that's in your liturgy uh, that uh, I created some time back, and um, let's see if we can have uh, a little help from it. I, I, I have to admit, it's got a horrible name. It's called the Loneliness Spiral, which is terribly depressing, so any suggestions, I'm open and welcome uh, from you. Um, but if you'll notice, there are really just two types of people, oversimplification, even though this is part of uh, the truth about us. They're introverts and extroverts. So. I love this little experiment. How many of you would say you're introverts? Let's see. All right, see those hands. How many of you would say you're extroverts? All right, and I love the difference. Like the quietness of the introverts raising their hand and then the extroverts raising their hand and saying, here I am, here we go, let's have a party. Where's everybody else, right? The difference. And by the way, if you want a great case study on introvert and extroverts, there is a wonderful uh, opportunity in the eshes themselves. So, so talk to them because I love the difference in the two of them. It's great. Uh, it's fun. And they're my neighbors, so uh, they'll have to forgive me or maybe uh, Eric's going to kill me in my sleep. I don't know. So introverts and extroverts. Um, an extrovert who feels like they don't have a deep connection or they're feeling a sense of loneliness will answer that with getting around more and more people. Eventually, you can see in that spiral, they're spiraling up to a crowd. While an introvert will say, I feel like my space is too crowded. I needed to get quieter to get a handle on what's going on inside of me. And so they will spiral down to fewer and fewer in order to be alone. But here's what we need to know. A crowd for extroverts and aloneness for introverts doesn't actually solve the problem. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that it exacerbates it. It makes it worse. So there's got to be something else. So if you look horizontally across, it's actually what we would call depth. That is being known at our deepest parts of who we are and yet not being afraid that the person who knows us that way will abandon us. But it's not, also, it's not just being known, it's actually knowing another and offering to another that kind of depth. Knowing who they are and being sure that we will never walk away from them. And you see, they're symbiotic. No, being known this way and then knowing others that way is really gets to this idea, this depth of community with another that goes towards our loneliness, which is a sign that we need something different, something new. Then those return arrows says, hey, an introvert's going to need some of those really healthy relationships at their depths, but only a very few. And an extrovert's going to want and need more. And that's okay. That's just the difference in us as humans. Now, this brings us all the way back around to the middle of, verse, of the five petitions from Psalm 25 that works kind of as a theological center. 25 verse 10, this is the turning point. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. Another way of translating it is this. 
all the ways of the Lord relates to us is through loyal love. Attach your mind to that reality. Loyal love is how he relates to us all. And that speaks to our deepest need, our deepest desire. I want someone, I need someone to know me, the real me, no matter what they find, I need to know that they won't leave me. They won't abandon me. It's not just love, it's loyal love, which is what love is in and of itself. And here's my question. Do you believe that? I'm not asking if you can answer that on a theological exam. I'm asking, do you feel that in the depths of your bones? If you do, then you'll be able to do what the psalmist does in verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Or another way of saying it, O Lord, I offer my life to you. I crack open my heart and allow you to enter and to be with me because I know you are loyal love. As I regularly do a little while back, I ran some of my thoughts on loneliness by my family. Um, yes, torturous to be in my family sometimes. One of my sons said, with a legitimate amount of suspicion and uh, sprinkled with a twinge of sarcasm, let me guess, you're going to say that all you need is God and you won't feel lonely anymore, right? <laughs> and, and, and that is a legitimate argument he's making, fully legitimate. Because while it's an oversimplification and spiritualized God talk simply to say that you don't need people, it's just flat out untrue. However, the place to begin our search for being known and being known fully and deeply without ever wondering if we'll be abandoned does begin and end in God himself with his loyal love. The kind of loyal love that he offers us. Something happened to a good friend of mine recently that I wanted to share with you. Uh, Todd was recently a participant in a week-long therapeutic recovery intensive with a group of other men led by two therapists. Part of the process consisted of them narrating their life experiences which can encompass some really deep pain, as you can imagine. One of the themes that Todd uh, discovered uh, and began to trace through his life was his deep sense of loneliness. And, and it began in his adolescence by feeling different and separate from his family of origin. So he started describing how he didn't feel seen and understood by his parents who even verbalized that to him where his dad told him at one point, I don't know what to do with you anymore, of which adolescent Todd interpreted as, you're different from us. You're separate from us. You aren't like everyone else. And thus implanted in him or fed in him what was already there, this deep sense of 
loneliness, even from his nuclear family. So Todd started to trace throughout all the phases and ages of his life and, and his relationships, how he experienced this deep sense of loneliness and being different and being other and expressed it in all different kinds of ways. That doesn't feel wonderful, by the way. So when Todd was at his most painful moments, the lead therapist stopped him and said, Todd, Todd, I want you to do something. I want you to look at your friend. Now there's something I haven't told you up to this point, and it's this, the second therapist in the room was a lifelong friend of Todd's. And that therapist, Todd's friend, was just weeping. He, he was empathizing with Todd. He could feel the pain of his friend. And Todd said that at that moment, when he looked in his friend's face, he had the most profound sense that he was being seen. He was known, he was understood, he wasn't alone. And when Todd told me that story, I thought, isn't there another to whom we can look as well? We're told in Hebrews 4 that Jesus sympathizes with us, which means he sees us, each of us. He understands us, each of us. But it goes further than that. He feels what we feel right now, at this moment, and at every moment. So while loneliness is multifaceted and complex, here's what we did know. It's a deep hunger to know and to be known, and we can find that need met in the face of others and in the face of Jesus, because it is Christ in us that tells us, you are known, you are chosen, you are wanted and you are understood and you're accepted. Even more than that, you are deeply and completely loved. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.